I'm going to look at the same text as last week. So I'm just going to re-preach the same sermon. I don't feel like people are paying attention. I'm kidding about preaching the same sermon. We're going to look at um, three dying men. One who went to hell, one who was saved, and one who was the greatest gift ever given to humanity. So can I ask you a question? Yes. All right. It's a loaded question. Obviously, it's not going to be a straightforward answer because it's Pastor John Question Sunday. If you cry out to Jesus to save you, does that mean you're saved? If someone believes in Jesus, are they saved? Well, so I'm going to introduce you to a man who cried out to Jesus to save him, who ended up being refused that salvation and went to hell. James 2.19 says the demons believe Jesus is the Christ, but they just shudder. Well, what does it mean to be saved? What is this amazing grace that we receive? We, we sing the song, Amazing Grace, and it is truly amazing. How sweet the sound, where if we see it right, it is truly sweet, because it saves a wretch like me. But saved in what sense? Saved from what? Saved to what? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, verse 32. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, him obviously being our Lord, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saves others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So it's interesting how easily in, in American Christianity we will affirm almost anyone as a believer. On the opposite side of the same coin, it's interesting how incredibly impossible and unbiblical some professing believers make it to affirm anyone as a believer. It's like we work in the two extremes. If you ever sin, you might, you're probably not saved because believers don't sin. To well, you, you say you believe in Jesus. You're, you're saved. The beauty of the gospel is it's far less complicated to understand how someone is saved and if you truly are saved and how to encourage others in their salvation than we realize. It's far more complicated to live as a saved person than we comprehend. And it all hinges and is joined on the reality of who God is and what the gospel truly is all about. Y'all tracking with me? 
So just because you ask Jesus to save you doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. We will see it in the text. Just because you believe truths about Jesus doesn't mean you're saved. We'll see it in the text. But salvation is there by grace through faith, and it's far amazing when you can comprehend I'm going to introduce you to a man who was saved, show you how he was saved and why he was saved, if you'll pay attention for a few minutes here with me. Sound good? Doesn't sound real good. Sound good? Sounds good. Come on, guys. People are on vacation. I need you today. I need you today. I'll give you a little fun Bible trivia. Cavalry. Y'all know the word cavalry, right? What is cavalry? Not, not the horses. You always find churches in town. Cavalry Church. Cavalry Baptist Church. Cavalry Fellowship Church. Cavalry Chapel. They're always cavalry. I give you a minute. Look up the word cavalry in your Bible. Do, do, well, I'm, I'm singing Amazing Grace. It's a Jeopardy music. Do, 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 do. You want to know what the word cavalry is in your Bible? Is it or isn't it? Who's got a KJV out there? You got the King James, right? Yes, sir. You, you got it in front of you? Yes, sir. What is verse? Help me out here a minute. Catch up. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Verse 33, and when they came to the place that is called, my Bible says, the skull. What does verse 33 in the King James say, if anybody has that? Chapter 23 of Luke, verse 33. Make sure his says the same thing. You might have a typo. Now, chapter 23. There's a lot of pressure on you, Cam. Not like everybody's staring at the back of your head. <laughs> Verse 33 of chapter 23. All right, apparently, apparently Hank didn't have a typo. Apparently it says Calvary. Calvary. It's just an interesting biblical side note. I'm, just, I'm trying to get your attention, get you in here for the rest of the sermon. The word in Greek is krineon, and it's translated most literally as skull, and there's a definite article, so it's called the skull. Well, when you transliterate it through the way the KJV came about, the word cavalry is a transliteration of the Greek word krineon. Just a fun little side note. So next time you go by a church called Cavalry Church, it's called the skull. It's a fun little thing. You want to change church name? Put a scary skull on top of the building and say, you guys ready for something significant about the text that points to Christ more than a little side note? Notice what's going on. My Lord has been led to the cross. He's been nailed to the cross. And there's people scoffing at him, mocking him, and railing at him. Verse 38, the rulers scoffed at him. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him. Verse 39, one of the criminals railed at him. Why? Why the scoffing, mocking, and railing? See, I got the calcateurs away. I got Patty away. I got Quran. I'm going to hassle him if he comes in late when I need the energy in the room. I think I heard a door, right? I need y'all. I need y'all today. Why are they scoffing and mocking and railing? Well, in one sense, because people are born as God-haters. 
We, we more seek to suppress the truth. And, and Jesus claimed to be a king, but if you've been paying attention through Luke, it doesn't quite look like a king. He has no pair of followers that hang around, no army with him, no lands or people conquered, and hanging on a cross, it doesn't look like he has too much power. So they're, they're suppressing the truth. They're denying he's a Christ, and they're spitting, cussing, blasphemy in my Lord. Now I read that and I think, why would God not in his wrath and vengeance and holiness just like knock some folks' heads, right? And if you notice, next week he does. He just doesn't knock them in the head, he knocks Jesus in the head. The wrath rightly deserved upon the scoffers and mockers and warriors doesn't fall at this time on the scoffers and mockers and warriors, but it falls on Jesus Christ. Why? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, let's keep going here. If you read the parallel accounts, remember we talked about parallel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes you get the same events recorded from different perspectives in different Gospels, right? Luke tells me one of the criminals was railing at Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 44, and Mark 15, 32, tell me that both criminals were scoffing and railing and mocking Jesus. Both. That's uh, Matthew 27, 44, Mark 15, 32. And I want to look at the one who went to hell first. Look at this poor guy. One of the criminals who had read at him saying, Are you not the Christ? What's the next word in your Bible? Are you not the Christ? Question mark. I recommend, I recommend have a Bible so you know I'm not making something up here. The most dangerous thing you could do is listen to a preacher without a Bible in front of you, because who knows where the preacher can go. It says save, right, isn't it? He said, well, it does, but a good one's always pointing you to the Bible, right? Don't trust me, trust the Word of God. He says to him, save yourself and us. I'm going to minimize that down. He says to Jesus, save me. Well, well first of all, he was scoffing at Jesus. He was railing at Jesus. And I want you to understand, seems like a fast transition, but why was this man scoffing at Jesus? The same reasons as before, the cultural conformity. Do you know it's a lot easier to hate Jesus in this world than to love Jesus? It's a lot easier to not follow Jesus than it is to follow Jesus. Why? Well, believers live walking upstream while the world goes by floating downstream. Believers call truth what the world calls lies. Believers love what the world hates and hates what the world loves. Believers look like absolute fools, and why would anyone want to look like a fool in their right, quote-unquote, right, fallen mind? It's very easy to go with the flow. There's no such thing as an independent thinker. You're either thinking in Adam or you're thinking in Christ. Well, this man's thinking in Adam. He's, Adam, he's dead in his sin. He cries out to Jesus, Save yourself and save us, but let me ask you a question. What does he want to be saved from? I'm going to warn you, it's going to get a little awkward here for a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll turn it around to the gospel, right? What does he want to be saved from? Right? Yeah. He, he, dude is nailed to a cross. It hurts. Through the arms, through the legs, he's hanging on a cross, he's in incredible pain, he's been wailing at Jesus who came, claims to be a king. Get me off of here! It hurts! You, 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 you know who you say you are? Well, come on down and get me off! You don't usually sound like that, but what he's doing is, 
he wants to be saved regarding his skin, not his soul. He's got a skin issue. He's got a felt need. Oh, it's a real felt need. Don't misunderstand. But that felt need distracts him from his greater need, and he sees God as a divine butler. He sees God as big-bodied and pea-headed. You ever see those guys in the gym? The big-bodied, pea-headed guys? <laughs> spot? Like, I can't spot you. How much weight is that? <laughs> but they got like the torsos out to here and the, the little head on top of their body and the, the shoulders with seven rolls, you know? What do I mean by that? He sees Jesus as very strong, very capable, but too darn stupid to know what he should be doing. Get off the cross and get me off the cross. <laughs> okay. If you do, I'll follow you. You can be my divine butler. <laughs> Are you ready for the awkward part? There's still a little bit of old man in all of us, an old woman. There's still a little bit of fleshliness. There's still a bit of missing God as big-bodied and pea-headed. We wouldn't say it this way, but listen up. If you're really as strong as you say and able to do what you say, here's what I need you to do. Do it. Prove yourself to me, and I will make you my full-time God. Kind of ties in with our, our song from a few months ago. The blessings go up. No, no, the praises. The praises go up. The blessings come down. Listen up, P-headed God. I got things I need you to be about. Don't make me yell and shout. Come on. My plan to the shy, this is acting up. My back is hurting so. <laughs> He's got it. He's got it. I told the kids last night, I was just going to read a manuscript to you guys and show you, like, this stuff isn't in here. But I, I thought I'm going to read a manuscript and see if you all stay awake. JJ said I should insert a line like, insert funny song here and just read it anyway. It doesn't say that. But don't we so often pray hyper-focused on our skin issues, our felt needs, telling God things as if he's big-bodied and pea-headed? I do. Maybe it's just me. For me, what does it sound like? God, I gotta pay these bills. I need you to help me out. I got four days. Gotta do something. Come on. Whereas in my head, it's not coming out as, Lord, I got bills. I got more, 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 more time than money, and it's a problem. I need help. But the bigger help I need isn't the money. I know you'll, you'll get me through this. It's seeing you for who you are and what you're trying to teach me through this trial. You see what's going on? Yeah, I got a felt need, but Jesus works through the felt need to the soul need. What I need isn't primarily money for my bills. It's faith in my God who provides for all of my needs. How often, as we pray for one another, are we really praying about the skin rather than the soul? How often do we talk to God as if we simply want him to save us from our light momentary affliction, forgetting ultimately what he has saved us from, what he has saved us to, and what he is doing in our lives based on who he is and who we are? 
We do not serve a big-bodied, pea-headed God. We serve a big-bodied, big-headed God who is not only all-powerful, he is all-wise and all-knowing. So on the cross hangs criminal one who wants to be saved and cries out for salvation, but not from damnation, simply from hanging on a cross. American Christianity is a funny beast, for too often we turn Jesus into that big-bodied, pea-headed God who will address your felt needs. You find a place that has good, relevant, topical preaching. Careful now. Because here's the, the, the little awkward thing Jesus does care about your skin issues. He does care about your felt needs, and, and he does guide us in ways to help us manage them well for our good and his glory, but he goes so much deeper. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then I got another guy up on the cross who was railing, rebuking, mocking, and scoffing, and blaspheming, but he says, verse 40, to his chum, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What, what, what happened? How does he go on the cross from, from railing at Jesus to all of a sudden defending Jesus' honor against this other criminal and crying out to Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. It's not, get me off of here! It's, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Fear of God. Do you see it right there? Verse 40, do you not what? Fear God. What's that mean? Well, if you're truly saved, Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But, but watch how. If you're truly saved, you have an awareness of sin, your sin and God's holiness. And it scared the boots off of you. You have an awareness of what sin deserves. As you come to faith and as you grow in faith, that fear becomes an awe, reverence, and gratitude towards God for what he saved you from. But initially, coming to faith is through an awareness of our sin and God's holiness that leads one to terror. This criminal's hanging on a cross. Why? He broke the Roman law. And what happened to him? He got the Roman punishment. And look what he's saying here. We are receiving the due reward for our deeds. Dude, we deserve to be up here. And in his head, he's got to be going, and if break Rome's law, get Rome's punishment. What about break God's law? Oh no, get God's punishment? He understands a reality of sin and holiness and separation. <clears throat> but he's not done there. Look at him seeing Jesus for who Jesus really is. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, what? Has done nothing wrong. He sees the innocence of Christ. I'll show you in a moment. He sees the reality of Christ. He knows who Jesus is. 
How do I know that? He knows Jesus forgives sin. How? He knows he sinned before God and is asking Jesus to save him from the wrath of God and allow him to enter into the presence of God, into your kingdom. He knows Jesus is a king. How? Why do I say that? What is he asking Jesus when you come into your what? Kingdom. Who has a kingdom? A king. He knows there's a resurrection. How do I know that? Jesus is on the cross. He is on the cross. He knows there's life after death, and in that life after death, there's hope in a resurrection. He understands unmerited grace. He was on his cross spitting curses at Jesus. What's he offering as a reason Jesus should save him? Well, I didn't say that bad stuff is bad as he did. No! He knows about unmerited grace. He cried out to a king who would rise to invite him into his kingdom by unmerited grace. You wonder how easy it is to miss things? Verse 42, and he said, what's the first word he said? Starts with a J, ends with an S. How often do you use that word? You pray, Jesus. You, you praise Jesus. What does Jesus mean? You got to think all the way back. Beginning of Luke, or you got to be able to read Greek or Hebrew. He shall be called, no, not wonderful counselor. You went back too far to Isaiah. We got Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, God saves. That's what Jesus means. God saves. Just hang on there. This criminal on the cross yelling, Yahweh saves! Remember me, Yahweh saves, when you come into your kingdom. This man had skin issues. But he had an awareness of a greater need, a soul issue. And he cried out to Jesus to save him. What are we saved from? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. But saved me from what? The wrath of God. Living separated from God, condemned to hell for all of eternity under his wrath. Saved from God, by God, and to God. But how did it work? How was this man saved and why was he saved? Well, when he was a teenager, he went away to a church camp. And when he was at church camp, they sat by a bonfire. And he carved a little cross, you know, with two sticks and tied them together. And, and he had pizza and played ping pong and he prayed to accept Christ. And it finally showed fruit. That was in Luke 47. You guys you know why he was saved or how he was saved? He heard the gospel. Where, where, where did he hear the gospel? I don't know. But it's funny, because God is gracious. He gives us some glimpses. Remember, Jesus said here, Father, forgive them. What's the gospel? Father forgives. 
maybe saw a sign over my Lord's head that said, this is the king of the Jews. Maybe he had heard Jesus preach and teach in Jerusalem. Maybe he had heard about him from others. He was saved because he had heard the gospel. And through the gospel, the Holy Spirit caused him to be born anew. When? As he hung on a cross. You ever meet someone who's come into faith? It's an interesting phrase. It, 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 well, well, well they, they, they seem to be almost there. My name is John. I was born September 24th through 29th. It was a prolonged birth. My foot entered the birth canal on the 24th. It was a procession as my body slowly left in the reverse. You're supposed to go out head first. I don't know. I've never birthed a child. In fact, I've never wanted to see it ever. Anyway, yeah, my head entered the birth canal on the 24th, and four days later I arrived. It was a process. Do you know how long it takes to be born anew? saying God's not at work, and I'm not saying some people spin a text a little weird when they're like, you, you, you are close to the kingdom of God. Don't mean like your head's engaged, you know, your, your spiritual mother's dilated, son. No. This man at a moment in time was born and new on the cross. Because that's how God causes people to be born anew. He heard the gospel. He did nothing to deserve it, but the Holy Spirit chose him. You know, I, I, I saw a church sign was, was this week, and it says, God has no favorites. It's just not true. It's not true. Because while God loves all people in some ways, some people he loves in all ways, not based on what they do, but simply based on his choice to save. And he chose to save this wicked, nasty, God-hating, Rome-hating criminal who hung on a cross. Why? Because he just chose. And in a moment of time, boom, this man's life was radically transformed. He was positionally perfect, not practically perfect, but he was born anew. How he heard the gospel, how the Holy Spirit used that to save him. Why? Amazing grace. Now, here's what we fight against. We, we, we don't hear about a gospel of amazing grace and salvation. We, we hear the, the polished up, spun up version of Christianity that permeates much of the Western world. Health, wealth, relationships, parenting, addiction, depression, anxiety. Ask Jesus, big body P-headed Jesus, to help you get rid of those problems and you will be truly happy. I mean, think about it. If, you, if you're anxious, what do you pray? First you pray, I hope nobody ever finds out because if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be afraid of anything. <coughs> Why? Here's what you pray. God, please take my anxiety away. It's too much. Listen to me. That's the wrong prayer because you're missing something. You just want big-bodied, pea-headed God to take it away so you're good on your own. You're missing the beauty of the God who saved you. He's not big-bodied and pea-headed. He's big-bodied and big-headed, and you're anxious because he'd entrusted that to you. The prayer should be, 
God, this hurts. This is hard. This is overwhelming. I don't want to do this. I don't know how I can do this. I really would like you to take it away, but God, would you help me through the anxiety to see you more clearly and who I am in you more fully? Don't just take it away. Grow me through this. Draw me closer to you by this. Help me behold your glory and the amazing grace of salvation. Do you see the little difference? Jesus isn't a parenting guru. Oh, he's a parenting guru, but he didn't come to be a parenting guru. How do you make your kids listen perfectly? Well, I mean, if you really want to be straightforward, a prong collar works really well. My dogs are awesome listeners. I haven't put them on the kids yet. Maybe we'll try. There's no fast fix. But you know what parenting does for you? It helps point you to Christ, reminds you of who you are, reminds you of who God is, his grace, his mercy, his power, the purpose of his law, what forgiveness looks like. And it makes you utterly and fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit, the only one who can truly save and sanctify your child. So it's not just God having him sit down and be quiet. What were you listening to this morning? Little Harry Belafonte. You know, you know Harry Belafonte? When you think of parenting, what's a parenting song of Harry Belafonte? You guys don't even remember the hook? Oh, daddy can't be ugly, so shut your mouth, go away. Mama, look at baby, baby. You know the song? We'll play that downstairs, stay for Sunday school. Parenting is about Jesus, help me point to you as I follow you. Don't just give me pleasant, happy, well-behaved kids. Get a dog if you want that. You pray, Jesus, save my child. Entice him to yourself before me. Anything across the board, health and wealth. You know what happens? These little idols we want Jesus to deal with. Jesus, i got skin needs. He says, I know, I'll provide for all of your needs, but let's go through the skin to the soul. What am I talking about here? My friends, two men hanging on a cross. Both asked Jesus to save them. Only one was saved. Because only one saw Jesus in his fullness of body and fullness of head as God who saves. It's so easy. Listen, I'm as guilty as anybody. It's so easy to live a life focused on skin needs, to focus on felt needs. Because they loom so large before us, don't they? It's almost hard to see by them. When you have struggles in this world, they're like, right in your face. Try to look around. Right? You, you can't get by it. It's just smacking at you. So the, the options are Netflix. No. Drugs and alcohol. No. Those are distractions. These aren't solving your problems. Or to cry out to God, help! God is right in my face. I'm stuck on a cross. It hurts so bad. I'm going to die. I'm scared. But save me, not just from the cross, from the wrath of God, because if the wrath of Rome is like this, how much more painful is the wrath of God? What have I done? Forgive me. So how does this apply to us? Well, number one, it applies, who are you? Which is your story? Are you the one who asked for salvation for your skin but never cared about your soul? Or are you the one who understood that Jesus is a king, that there is a resurrection, that we're saved by unmerited grace, 
that we truly need amazing grace because we are amazingly sinful and wicked on our own. Now, I used to envy this guy because it was like, boom, boom, saved in glory. All right, little fun, little side note. Get two today. Two, Bible, trivia, knowledge. You know the expression or the question, when you die, where does your soul go? Right? And typically it's answered with the wrong pronoun. Well, it goes to be with God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when you die, your soul goes to be with God. That's true, right? But not it, you. It's not an it, you. When you die, where does your soul go? It goes to be with God. You go to be with God as you await a resurrected body. What, what am I talking about? Where am I going with this? I don't know. I do know. I used to think this guy was in such a great spot because he was saved, he died, he went to be with Jesus right away. He didn't have to deal with the world anymore. But I went, oh, poor guy. Honestly, poor guy. Amazing grace. Flip over to uh, Ephesians, if you don't mind. Ephesians chapter 2. Or we could pick on Cam again and have him flip over and everybody look at him while he flips there. Do you know the pressure that's on people when like someone's, as now I'm sitting here floundered in my head, you better get to Ephesians before they do. Ephesians 2. You guys know 8 and 9? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But this poor guy on the cross who was saved, Ephesians 2.10, he had a short list. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This guy had a short Ephesians 2.10 list. It was in part to, to, to cry out to God for salvation. That's your first good work. Did you know that? As a saved person, your first good work is crying out to God for salvation. He told the other criminal in a roundabout way who Jesus was. He did it publicly before those who would be hearing, and that was his whole list. Two or three things. Never, ever, ever got to walk by faith on his feet. He was always hung on the cross. Never, ever, ever got to see God work in and through his life to to mature him, to sanctify him, and to use him to care for others. Never, ever, ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with those he lived with and worked with and lived alongside and encountered on the way. Never, ever, ever got to care for other believers in the context of a local fellowship. Never had these joyful privileges and opportunities. You see, salvation is being saved from the wrath of God, but it's also being saved to the people of God to live according to the word of God, for the glory of God and the joy he sets before us as such. What a privilege, what a joy we have who have been saved to be able to live our lives according to the word of God by faith for the glory of God and the joy he sets before us. The problem is it doesn't always feel like joy, does it? Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes we just want to give up the fight. We were talking yesterday in in my office, a couple of us, and I pointed out, did you know Paul was suicidal. Don't over-spiritualize what you read in, in Scripture. 
Where would Paul prefer to be alive or absent from the body and present with Christ? What did he say? He said, it'd be better to be dead. But this isn't the time for me to be dead. Paul got worn out. But Paul fought through the war out because he knew it was a light momentary affliction that was preparing for him an eternal weight of glory. In fact, talking about Paul, and we'll land the plane here in a minute. This guy's story is just like Paul's story. Paul is on the road to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, he picked up a pamphlet off of the ground. The four spiritual laws was the first pamphlet ever, ever just dropped along the way. And he read the pamphlet as he's riding and said, hmm, I'd like to think about this. I feel as if I'm being drawn closer to God. And along the way, he stopped by a, um, a, a camp, campside revival. And there was passionate preaching. And, and as Paul tied up his horse so he could be watered, the preacher said, if y'all would like to receive Jesus, come forward. And Paul walked forward down the aisle of the campside revival. And he raised his hands and a bright light shone. I don't remember. I, I, was that how it read in Acts? Or was Paul who refers to himself, I believe it's in 1 Timothy, as a formerly a blasphemer, was simply a blasted blasphemer by the grace of God, having at some point heard the gospel and was regenerated by God along the way instantaneously. It's kind of like all of our stories if we're truly saved, isn't it? And as those who are saved, here's the battle. Here's the hard, hard, hard battle. Not my will, but yours be done. Why would you not want to do God's will? Like, let's brainstorm for a minute. It's only 10, 15. I'm going to preach a shorter sermon by 10 minutes. We'll probably pray for 45 minutes. Don't worry. Give me, give me some examples of where doing God's will is just a bad idea. Like, I'm sure we have experiences where trusting Jesus didn't work out well, and he was totally foolish, and you knew better than he did. So, like, why do we functionally live like that so often? I do. Well, because there's a counterfeit deity out there. We're going to talk about eggs as we pray. Remember, evidence of God's grace. Do you know there are counterfeit evidences of God's grace out there? Here's the battle. Trust in Jesus. Believe into Jesus. What would cause you to do that? Remember who you were in Adam. Remember who you are in Christ. But most of all, remember who Jesus is. I mean, God is like your, your Pico Bill. I'm sorry, but he fed two million Jews in the wilderness day after day after day after day after day. He parted the sea for a million Jews. And this wasn't like an elite million-man army. You, you, you know, some of these folks were like, were like your great-great-grandma who you try to take out to Denny's for dinner sometime, and it's like 45 minutes to get from the car to the restaurant. Right? So imagine Grandma Elsie working her way through the Red Sea. Get off of me! I'm good! Right? So you got like the young ones on the other side. They're like... God's up there, sweat coming off of his divine brow. Come on, Elsie. Angel, go pick her up. No. 
God spoke and it was. Who's hanging on the cross besides the criminals? Jesus, truly God and truly man. We got to fight the fight of trusting God. Don't make him pee headed, big headed. You pee headed. You got the big body. You ain't big body. You, we got a guy at the gym. I'll tell another gym story. We, we, we call him Macho Man, right, guys? Macho Man is, I don't know, maybe five foot ten. He's not particularly well, well built gym wise. And he'll come in and he'll put, you guys know what a preacher curl is? It's, you're sitting down, it's like an incline, about 45 degree angle platform, you rest the back of your upper arms, and you do, you do bicep curls. This guy will put four 45-pound weights and a 25-pound weight. Now you try to add that in your head, 45, 45, 90, 180. 180 and 25 is more than 180. So it's a lot of weight, okay? Like Lou Ferrigno. Side note, do you know that I worked out one day with Lou Ferrigno? i tell you the story. It's how I keep your attention to give you the gospel stuff. Gold's Gym and Yonkers. I was a young buck. I was on the preacher curve, and a guy behind me says in a voice like this, you might I walk in. I'm like, it was the Hulk not in green. I'm not kidding you. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. He took the pin and bam, slammed it all the way on the bottom of the machine, maxed way, and he's doing it with one arm. I'm like, oh. Uh, it's the Hulk, though. That's a good excuse. Lou Ferrigno has, has a hearing issue. His voice is very distinct, but that was my finest day. Back to Macho Man, and then we'll get back to Jesus. You with me? Yeah. Macho Man, he sets up his weight. He comes in. He grabs it. He sits there. He throws his whole body back. Ugh! Moves about that far, slams it down, and walks off the piece of equipment like this. <laughs> and then he goes over, and he'll do, like, uh, triceps. And he'll put the weight on, and he's like, oh! And then I got my boy sitting over there. And I'm like in the middle of a set of something, trying not to laugh and pull a muscle. What am I talking about? That's how we live. We think we're macho mans. We, we think we're so strong and so capable. We think we're all big bodied. And we look like young Buck John at Gold's Gym. And then Lou Ferrigno shows up. And then you're like, oh my gosh, my arms are so skinny. His, his arm looks like my chest. Oh my goodness. I rolled down my sleeves. I used to walk around when I was 16 like this. My dad said, what are you doing? I said, Dad, I can't put my arms down. My lats are getting too big. Lou <laughs> <laughs> walks around like that because he can't get his own back. I'll show you pictures one day. Hang around long enough. Maybe I entice people to Sunday school this way. I'll show you pictures. We went on the, the, the SS Norway, and there are all these embarrassing pictures of me in my rolled sleeves. <laughs> Jesus is bigger than Lou Ferrigno. He's stronger than Lou Ferrigno. He's smarter than the smartest man you've ever known, and he's more loving than anybody who ever has loved you. Don't walk around looking like macho man in life, because you ain't macho man. Walk around looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Three men died on a cross. Two men lived after they died in paradise. One man made it all possible. His name is Jesus. His name means God saves. What a privilege. What a joy. 
We will only enjoy this privilege and joy to the extent that we understand the gospel and know the God of the gospel. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull or Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is a Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged roared at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, God saves, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, it still wouldn't be much of a great text if it weren't for the last verse. Because he, Jesus, said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He could have said no. He could have said, did you hear what you said to me? Away from me. He could have said, I don't care to help you right now. I'm a little focused on me. But he didn't. He said, today, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Amazing grace. Does it truly sound sweet? Do you see how you were once lost, but you were found? You were blind, but you see? With those eyes that you can now see, do you see how foolish we often look walking through life, thinking we're way more powerful and intelligent than we really are? Do you see the grace of God towards us, not only in the saving work of Christ, but in the sanctifying work he carries out by his Spirit? Why is God so patient with us? Why is God so gracious to us? Why is God so committed to us as his people? Why would God choose to use all things, not just for his glory, but the good of those he's called to himself? Why? Grace. What a privilege we have to be children of God. Yes, responsibility, but responsibility driven by gratitude because our God saved us. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see clearly. Help us to actually forgive us Forgive us for the times that we see you as other than who you truly are and worship you in ways other than how you call us to. Lord, thank you that you do forgive us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our advocate with the Father. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is not by how well we represent ourselves that we are saved, but how you represent us. Lord, help us to walk by your Spirit in your power for your glory. Give us a desire to die to self so we might rest in you. Allow us to set our deadly doing down, down at your feet, Jesus, to rest in you and you alone glorious, complete. Give us a joy that can be held by seeing how this criminal was saved, by doing absolutely nothing, but showing the evidence of your saving work by crying out to you to allow him to be with you in paradise. Lord, I don't know the man's name, but I know you do because he is with you. What a, what a marvelous day it will be if we meet this man in glory and hear him tell the story to which you receive the glory of how he was saved. And may we be able to tell the same story, for his story is our story if we are in you. A story of unmerited grace, made possible by your finished work and the fact that you are the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> Thank you, God, that we don't have to wait to die to be with you, but you, in fact, prayed for us in John 17 that we would be withering you as you are withering in the Father. Not that we have taken on a divine nature, but we are made in you, Lord Jesus. We abide in you. You strengthen us, and you are, in fact, absolutely with us. Lord Jesus, help us to rest. Allow us to steward our felt needs, our skin needs, in ways that draw us closer to you, and help us to realize on our own we can't do that. Help us to be attentive to our skin needs and the skin needs of others, for you care about those things too. But to go beyond just the surface, all the way down to the soul, to be physicians of souls, to point one another through our circumstances and skin needs to the reality of who you are, Lord Jesus, and who we are in you. Thank you, Lord, that you are at work mightily in all ways at all times for your glory and our good. Help us to rest and rejoice in that and help us to see you in all of your magnificent glory and so far as it is possible on this side of glory, as not just strong, but he who has all strength, as not just wise, but as he who has all wisdom, as not just he who is right and true, but he who is the truth and by your truth has determined what is right and wrong. Allow us to recognize how massive you are in stature and strength and love and grace and mercy and how joyful we can truly be as we walk in the shadow of your wing, knowing that you delight in us because you simply chose to. Lord Jesus, to you alone be glory and power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before you play, Let's, let's flip to the front of the service.